morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. Let me welcome you to a beautiful Sunday again. I did not wear a pink sweater because I did not want to burn everybody up, so I decided to do something a little different. So there you go. Everybody said, man, you're burning me up in that sweater, so I'm not wearing another sweater during the summer. You know, uh, when I'm out in public, I try to avoid situations uh, that might come up out of nowhere that make me really uncomfortable. I, I just kind of have my radar on all the time, and I'm kind of watching for those situations that kind of catch you off guard and they make you really uncomfortable. And it happened to me on Thursday because I went to Sam's, which can be notorious for uncomfortable situations. You'll understand what I'm talking about in just a moment. I haven't been to Sam's. This is only my second time uh, since the lockdown, since COVID. We haven't had to go that many times. Amy's gone a couple of times. But, you know, Sam's can be kind of a crazy place, especially as you get a little closer to the weekend. And, and you, you know what I'm talking about, because when you go in, almost all the time, there is a guy standing at the end of the aisle with a clipboard. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? And, and, and once I see those people, it makes me so uncomfortable because, you know, it seems that anytime I see one of those guys, and I've kind of alluded to this before, they're always trying to sell you something. And, 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 and you know, you don't, you don't even want to lock eyes with them. You don't even want to see them. You don't even want to pay attention to them. But when you walk in, there's that guy standing at the end of the aisle, and he wants you to switch your cable, you know, to a, to a, a dish. He wants you to switch your Internet provider or, or your, your cell phone service. They, they just want you to do something. But they stand there. At the end of the aisle, like a line that's about to pounce on a gazelle. I mean, they're, they're looking at you when they see you come in, and their eyes are watching your eyes. Uh, and as they see you and they kind of lock eyes with you, they, they make their move and they lunge toward you. And those dreaded words come out of their mouth that nobody likes to hear. Excuse me, ma'am. Excuse me, sir. Do you, do, you, do you have a minute? And then they go with their spiel, which they've rehearsed a thousand times, blah, 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 blah. And... I, I fell victim to that several times. I mean, I try to typically be nice, and I try to speak to people when I'm in public and make eye contact with them. But uh, I, I fell victim several times before I figured out how to actually deal with those people, how to, how to get by with those people. I, I started having to figure out, you know, that if, if this is going to be something that's going to happen to me on a regular basis— I'm going to have to come up with some way to deal with this. So here's the, way I, here's the way I deal with this. Anytime I walk into a big, unnamed, big box retailer, we'll just use Sam's this morning as an example. One of the things that I've started to do is I always make sure that I have my cell phone or my smartphone in my hand. Now, again, for some of you this morning who are not, you know, phone users or you don't use a phone or you don't carry a phone a lot, you can just use a fake one. <laughs> just, just, just have something in your hand that looks like a phone. And, and, and again, uh, it doesn't have to actually work. But here's what I would advise you. When you walk into said big box retailer, make sure that you turn that thing on if it actually works. Make sure you turn it on vibrate so it doesn't ring while you're going to do what I'm about to tell you to do. Uh, constantly keep your eyes peeled. You have to stay alert. And you have to know that this guy is going to, to, to jump on you the minute he gets an opportunity. So with your eyes looking at his eyes, you basically keep that phone in your hand. And at about the moment that you know he's going to pounce on you, immediately you look at the phone and you put it up to your ear and you say, oh, hey, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, we're just at Sam's. We're doing a little shopping. Now, now see what I'm saying? You don't want it to ring. That, 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 that would kill the whole thing. You have to make sure you have it on vibrate or silence or off. It doesn't matter. You just basically say, yeah, how's it going? Yeah, we're doing great. Oh, we're just doing a little shopping. And as you carry on this one-sided conversation, what are you able to do? You're able to completely walk by that guy who wants to talk to you. And it happens with relative ease. And, and, and when you're talking on that phone or pretending like you're talking on that phone, you can look him right in the eye and you can give him a little head bob and say, "How you? Yeah, you yeah, my, yeah, my Toyota, my Toyota, my Toyota's in the parking lot." And he'll go, "What? I don't, I don't want to talk to them anyway because they're crazy. I don't even want to talk to them." See, where here's the thing. Here's the point I'm trying to make. We're all trying to avoid something, right? I mean, we're all there's always something we're trying to avoid. 
Some of us are trying to avoid situations. Some of us are trying to avoid drinking beverages like Cokes. We're the ones who are now trying to drink more water. Maybe you're spending, you know, because you're spending more on your paycheck for gas, maybe than you were a year ago. Uh, we know that more than we were a year ago. So you're putting all your errands together so that you can do as little driving as you can. So you're trying to avoid unnecessary driving. Or maybe it's activity for you. Maybe the thing that you're all concerned about is maybe you're one of those people who's, who's trying to, you, you know, you realize you're getting a little older and you're trying to keep that active lifestyle. You're trying not to be the person who comes home every day and just sits on the couch and watches television. So you're trying to avoid that sedentary lifestyle. Or maybe you're trying to avoid certain foods. You're worried about gaining weight so you don't eat certain things. Now, if there's anything that I could say that I consistently try to avoid in my life, I'm going to tell you. I'm trying to avoid things that rob me of my happiness. I'm trying to avoid things that rob me or that actually steal my joy. I'm going to do everything that I can to ensure that I avoid things that steal my happiness because, after all, that's what life is about, right? I'm supposed to be happy. As someone who follows Jesus, aren't I supposed to be happy? Isn't that about the, isn't that what the Christian life is all about, following Jesus? I'm supposed to be blessed and highly favored of God and supposed to live my life and be happy all the time? I mean, isn't that why we signed up to follow Jesus? Well, today we are going to conclude this this series of messages. And during this series, what we've been doing is looking at circumstances. We've been just looking at things that happen in life. What's going on? What's happening when something in our life doesn't go like we thought it was going to go? What's happening when something that we thought we were entitled to, that something is actually taken from us? What do we do when something that we thought we were entitled to or something that we expected to be a part of the life of following Jesus, what do we do? How do we respond when that doesn't turn out the way that we expected it to? Because honestly, I think most people, if they're absolutely honest, they would say to you and they would say to me, maybe confidentially, that they came to Jesus, they came to faith in Jesus Christ, and when they did, they came and brought with them a list of expectations. We had these things that we wanted him to do in our lives. And we thought, you know, when we came to faith, the bad things would happen to the other people because we're supposed to be the happy people. We're supposed to be the blessed people. We follow Jesus, so we're supposed to be the highly favored people. But, It's when those bad things happen in our lives. That's when we start to ask the questions. That's when we actually start to wonder where God is. Now, last week, I I felt really guilty because I didn't give you much insight into where I was going. But last week, we dove into a story from Scripture, and and I felt like I kind of left you hanging. But it's a story that's actually found in a very short book of the Old Testament. And it's actually a story that was found in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is, is actually a story. It's only four chapters, and hopefully some of you actually took the time to read it. But it's only four chapters, and in this story, it's the story of a family. A family who took what should have been a normal trip. A trip that needed to be made because this family wanted to make sure that they could provide for themselves and so they just thought, you know what, we've got, we've got to move somewhere else because we need to provide for ourselves. And not only do we need to provide for ourselves, we need to get what we're supposed to get out of life. Now, if you weren't here last week, then I'm going to kind of cliff note this for you so that all of us can be on the same page. Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Kilion, were headed for the country of Moab. And, and from what we know... They had spent most of their life in and around Bethlehem. That was what they would call home. That would be the place where they had raised the family. But Bethlehem had been hit hard by a lack of rain. So there simply wasn't any way for this family to support themselves. So they needed to relocate. And the relocation was actually only going to be temporary. As a family, what they did is they actually found their hope or thought their hope would be 
found in moving to a place called Moab so they could survive there. And they just knew that this trip was going to be short-lived. And then when they returned to Bethlehem, everything would be back to normal as soon as the rains had returned to that area. But shortly after they arrived in Moab, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. The only man that she had ever known. The only man that she had ever loved. The, the, the man that she felt God had given her, he dies. The father of her children is dead. So Naomi holds on. Naomi holds on to hope. She doesn't give up. She looks at the circumstances. Here she is in a different land, in a foreign country, in a place where she's not known, and she doesn't know many people, and there is the place where she loses her husband. But regardless of the circumstances, she holds on to hope. She doesn't give up. She's looking for something to happen to her that will allow her to continue to be happy in her life. She's looking for God to do something in her life that will help her endure the pain as it relates to the loss of her husband. Surely, surely God would do something. Surely because of the loss of her husband, God would come along and in some way, surely God would comfort her. Naomi is in a foreign land, the land of Moab, and there is the place where she's just looking for something to hold on to. And as you read the story, it appears that it happened. Naomi came to Moab from Bethlehem with her husband and two sons. Both of her sons were single. But something happens, and the story tells us that both of her sons are married. They get married. And surely, that's the blessing she needed. Surely, that would be the thing. That would be the blessing that would get Naomi through the tough times. This had to be the, the answer to her prayers. Surely, there wouldn't be anything else that would happen in her life that would go wrong because, again, she was already carrying such a weight as it resulted from the loss of her husband. Surely, something couldn't happen. Surely, nothing would happen to her. Surely, God would, would not allow something to be placed on her again, but it does. Something else happens. Both of her sons die. And the book of Ruth doesn't tell us how they died. We just know that both of her sons are dead. And just like we would, just like you would, if something like that happened to you, Naomi starts to do and respond in the very same way that all of us would. Naomi starts to ask the questions, God, you could have done something. God, you could have intervened here, but you didn't. God, you could have seen to it that I had the things that I needed, but that isn't the case. God, what is going on? God, why aren't you taking care of me the way that I think I need to be taken care of? And see, the story tells us in Ruth that Naomi has basically lost everything that she valued. Naomi has lost everything that she valued. I mean, think about it, the things that she longed for, her husband, her children, they're all gone. It's like somebody came into the life of Naomi and just robbed her. And again, with, in retrospect, if you look in the rearview mirror, you kind of see in the story and what we can read in those four chapters that Naomi probably didn't ask for much in life. The only thing she wanted was the same thing that you want. She just wanted to be happy. But now that isn't the case. It isn't the case at all. Naomi finds herself in a foreign land. And remember, now she has two daughter-in-laws. And if there would be any word that we could use to describe the place that Naomi finds herself, I think it's the word broken. Because of all that had happened to her. 
Naomi found herself in a place, in a season, maybe you would say, of brokenness. And that's where some of you are this morning. You find yourself in a season of brokenness. You're dealing with your own loss. You're you're dealing with the loss of something that we thought we were entitled to or something that we expected to, to, to happen or something that we wanted to be a part of the life of following Jesus. You had something in your possession. You felt like it belonged to you as a follower of Jesus Christ as a Christian, but now something came in and something changed and now it's gone. A loved one, a friend lost to cancer. A job, a career gone down the tubes, washed away because of COVID. A relationship. And we're broken. We're just like Naomi. We're broken and we're in pain. So we ask questions. And the big question today is, how do we make it? How do we make it when life doesn't turn out like we want it to? How do we make it through the difficulties of life when we look at a situation and in that situation hope is all but gone? How do do we deal with the brokenness in our lives? And maybe more importantly, how do we look at brokenness or the, the broken seasons and ask the question, is there a purpose in that? Is there a purpose to the brokenness? As Christians, how are we going to develop? As a follower of Jesus Christ, how are we going to develop into people of peace and power and unspeakable joy? That joy that radiates from our lives despite the circumstances that we might find ourselves going through at the moment. Because for me... To become that, that, that follower of Jesus that is full of peace and power and unspeakable joy. For that to happen. For us to be a community of what I like to call the joyfully broken that we need to be. For us to be the people that by our lives we're constantly revealing to other people that the gospel is true because of the way we live our life. If that's going to happen, then listen to me this morning. If that's going to happen, if we're going to be that community of those people that I call the joyfully broken, then there must be some truths that find their way into our lives, even in the most difficult of circumstances. We went over these last week, and I'm going to go over them today so that you will have them. And I want you to listen to these truths because these are what I call biblical truths, and that's my opinion, but they're biblical truths that I extracted from the story of Naomi and the brokenness and the loss and the things that she went through. And again, I think when you read the story, if you'll take the time to read those four chapters, you're going to see these biblical truths that I've extracted. Now, here's the thing I'm going to say. If you didn't get a chance to write them down last week, write them down today. And if you can't write them down today, because you're going to say, well, it's just too dark in here, then get your phone out right now and get the camera ready to take a picture. And when it's on the screen behind me, screenshot it. You remember that? Have anybody seen that guy on Facebook or Instagram that does this thing? You know, he, he shows somebody that's doing something over here, and they kind of go out and make it look really hard. And then he goes, well, that's the way this is. Anytime you see something on the screen, I have no problem with you taking a phone and screenshotting it because I want you to have it. Here's the very first biblical truth that I saw in the story of Naomi. We looked at it last week. What we value most is sometimes taken from us so that we can grow spiritually. Sometimes the thing that you value the most is going to be taken from you. Whether God caused it or allowed it, you know, that, that's not even in the equation right now. But sometimes the things that you value the most is going to be taken from you. And the purpose there is so that you can grow and not just grow so that you can grow spiritually. That's the first biblical truth that I see in the story of Naomi. Here's the second one. 
The second one is when something terrible happens in our life, something wonderful follows that. I can look back at my life and almost guarantee you that happens every time. When something terrible happens in our life, something wonderful follows. And again, I see that in the story of Naomi. And th this is a truth that needs to make its way into your life if you're going to be that, what I call, that community of the joyfully broken. You just need to realize that this is going to happen. Here's the third biblical truth that I extracted. Not getting what we want is going to push us in God's direction. You don't need everything that you want. You don't need everything that you think you need. And the very situation that you don't get everything that you think you need is many times going to push you in God's direction. Again, you'll see it in the story of Naomi. Here's the fourth biblical truth. Pain and suffering are often a catalyst if you're going to truly enjoy life. And this biblical truth kind of goes with the next one. The fifth biblical truth is this. As a believer, we often miss true life. We possess the ability to discover that life, but many of us never experience it. Here's the sixth one. And some of you need to hear this more than you need to hear anything else. Your past is your past. And you can do nothing about it. So remember that the future is always available. You can't change the past. But you have today and every day that God gives you in front of you. The past is the past. You can do nothing about it, but the future is always av available. Because see, here's the deal. We all want to be happy. We all want to be happy, and there's no doubt that Naomi was a very happy woman when she started on this trip from Bethlehem to Moab with her family. But things changed. She loses her husband, she loses her son, and I think it goes without saying that now she's anything but happy. Because the place that she finds herself is a place of brokenness. And remember, that's where we started this series four weeks ago. See, I think that many of us signed up for the Christian life because we thought the Christian life, the, the life of following Jesus, was going to be full of blessings. But I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. Again, my lips to your ears. That isn't what God promised you. That isn't what God promised in this life. We were never told that following God was like spending time on the candy aisle, picking out and getting the things that we wanted. So with that being said, I believe it comes down to this. God's best is only available to those who sacrifice. God's best is only available to those who sacrifice, to those who are willing to sacrifice the merely good to ultimately get God's best. See, if we're satisfied with the things that make us happy, like good health, a good job, good kids, close friendships, then here's the thing. We will never hunger for God's best. So how does Naomi react? How does Naomi react to what has happened to her life? How does Naomi, now that we've gone through part of the story, how does she find hope in the worst of circumstances? How is she going to deal with the despair in her life? And maybe the most important question is, what is the purpose of the brokenness? And let me tell you, the answers to those questions can only be found if we take the time to look at the rest of the story. Shortly after her husband and two sons had passed away, the story tells us that the, the famine ended in Bethlehem. And she headed back to what she would know as home, Bethlehem. L look at Ruth 1, verse 7. 
With her two daughter, daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Now, Naomi is leaving Moab with her daughter-in-law. Ma- Naomi is leaving Moab and going back to Bethlehem with the wives of her late sons. And we saw those people last week, and we named them Orpah and Ruth. They're leaving the land of Moab, and they're headed back to Judah. But something happens. As soon as they make it up the road just a little bit, Naomi starts having one of those pity parties, which which I'm going to tell you, we can all have, all of us, I don't care whether you're male or female, I don't care whether you're young or old, I have seen everybody of every stage and season of life, of every gender, I have seen them have a pity party, and that's exactly what Naomi does. She stops right in the middle of the road, and she urges both of her daughter-in-laws to go back. You just go back. Go back and stay in the land that you know as your home. And she starts crying with this line of thinking that says, you know what, why don't you just go? You, you, you don't come with me. Don't go to Bethlehem with me. You just go back. You'll be, you'll be better off without me. And I'm really going to date myself again, but it reminds me of that little skit on Hee Haw. You know that, you know, gloom, despair, agony on me. Deep, dark depression. I mean, that's where she was. She basically says to Ruth and Orpah, you you just need to go back because you'll be better off with me. Don't let my misery, don't let it bleed into your life. Just because I'm not happy, that doesn't mean that you have to be unhappy as well. So Orpah, one of the daughter-in-laws, takes the advice of Naomi, and she kisses Naomi, and she goes back. Because you could probably conclude that Orpah, like Naomi, wanted to be happy. She wanted a life that was going to be filled with blessings. And she had probably looked at Naomi, and she had seen Naomi and her situation and her countenance And she had detected enough despair and brokenness in Naomi's life where she said, check, please, I'm out of here. And that's what she did. She went back. But the other daughter-in-law, Ruth, stuck with Naomi. And they continued their journey back to Bethlehem, back to Judah. And, and, And when Naomi arrives at home, She was greeted by her friends. She was greeted by the family that she had left there. And what's interesting is this. She she made a request of her family, and the request was this. No longer do I want to be known as Naomi. Instead, here's what I want you to do. I want you to call me Mara, which means bitter. Now think about that and think about what she's been through. I don't want you to call me by my name. I no longer, I don't want to be known as Naomi. Instead, I want to be known as Mara. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And then you read this statement in verse 21. Now follow me. Naomi says, I went away full. What does that mean? I went away full. You know what it means? I went away happy. You see? I went away unbroken. But the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because I'm not happy and I'm broken and I'm bitter. See, 
there are three unique things that you find in Naomi's despair and brokenness. And I see these three unique, unique things are now a part of her life. The first of those we saw just a moment ago. She looks at her life and she says, you know what? You're just, other people are going to be better off without me. She thought that people would be better off without her. Because of the despair and the brokenness that was a part of her life now, she said, you know what? Other people, you just go back home. You'll be better off without me. That's the very first thing you see. Because that's the reason why she urged Orba and Ruth to go back to the land that they were from. You go back there because if you go back there, you're going to be happier there than you will be with me. That's the very first thing I see. The second thing I see, the second characteristic I see that, that we see is that, that she lost all hope. She lost all hope that she could return to actually living a life of happiness. And then the third thing I see is this. In her brokenness and in her despair, she blamed God. That's exactly what we saw in that last verse, verse 21. And what we see Naomi saying is the very same thing that we say when things don't go our way. When we don't get what we want, when we, we don't get what God, we expected God to give us, or when something in a situation in life turns out differently, we look to the heavens and we say, God could have prevented it, but he didn't. We're like Naomi. We find ourselves enduring the very thing that we've tried so hard to avoid. Because if God would just give me what I wanted, then I would be happy. If God would just give me the things that I think I need, then I could make it through this life. Because if there's anything that you, along with me, is trying to avoid, it's brokenness. It's being broken. That isn't what we signed up for. That isn't what I signed up for. And again, don't you think those are the very words that Naomi were saying when both of the shoes dropped in her life, when she lost her two sons and she lost her husband? I mean, don't you think, I mean, just let's just be real this morning. Don't you think she was pointing her fingers toward heavens, almost demanding that God do something about where she found herself? I would say yes. But I would also say this. I would also say that brokenness has a purpose. You see, I think we're trying so hard to live our life and we try so hard to be happy. And the reason why we're trying so hard to be happy is we're trying to, to numb the effects of the difficulties or the losses that are a part of life. And if that's what we're doing, then we miss something that is so valuable. And, and the reason to me that we do that, we try so hard to be happy, is that many of us have misunderstood the purpose of life. We've misunderstood the, the, the journey of this thing we call life. We, we still look at life and we think we deserve for things to go well. And that we should always feel good about the things that are happening in our life. But the good news of the gospel is not that God would provide a way to make life easier. The good news of the gospel, listen to me, I want you to hear what I'm saying. The good news of the gospel for this life is that God will make our lives better. 
We will be empowered to draw closer to God and to love others well and to do both of those with one central purpose. We draw closer to God and we love others. And the reason we do that is to glorify God. To make him look good to anyone who watches us and the way that we're actually living our lives. Because there's a lesson to be learned. There's a lesson to be learned from brokenness. See, here's the thing. We, we can't be sucked into the feel-good life. Because when we get sucked into the life of uh, everything feeling good, then you know what that does? Listen to me. I want you to hear this because some of you need to hear this. When you get sucked into the feel-good life, you know what it does? It ruins your worship. And it makes true recovery from those painful backgrounds that many of us deal with. It makes that recovery impossible. But when pain and suffering become a part of our lives, when the things that we think were ours, when those things are taken from us, when we experience times of brokenness in our lives, we're naturally going to react. And we're going to react one of two ways. We either rebel in some form. Perhaps we jump into outright sin. Or we become indifferent to the things of the Spirit. We become indifferent to spiritual things. And what needs breaking in our lives remains unbroken. Because we continue to think that everything should work out the way we want it to. Everything should work out well. And if it works out well, then we're going to feel good. We think that the nature of the spiritual journey is that God is supposed to revealed, be revealed in our prosperity. That's what we think the, the nature of the spiritual journey is. God is supposed to be revealed in, in my prosperity, whether that's uh, financial or relational or physical or emotional. But if that's what we believe, if we believe that God is going to be revealed in our prosperity, then I'm just going to tell you this morning, you're walking in the flesh. As long as we believe that, we're going to miss out because we're walking in the flesh. Because the journey of walking in the flesh is a journey where things don't go wrong. And if they do go wrong, they correct themselves. Marriages always work. Biopsies come back benign. Churches always succeed. And we feel pretty good about the way that most things go. If things that we thought were ours weren't taken from us, if things in our lives didn't fall apart, if, if, listen to me this morning. If we didn't experience times of brokenness, then we would buy into naturally the feel-good life lie and we would value on God only for what he could do for us now. We wouldn't value his presence. We wouldn't value the things that God intends to do in our life later. But see, here's the thing. That's what broken people learn. Bro broken people learn the value of God's presence. Broken people learn the value of the things that God is going to do later past the situation that they find themselves in. And you look at the life of Naomi and all she was going through, and you realize that in her brokenness, that she just had to wonder, she just had to question what was going on in her life. Just as you've looked at your life and wondered what's going on in your life. You, like Naomi, are going to ask the same question. 
But this is the place that broken people start to learn. Because broken people learn that when God seems most absent in a situation, broken people learn that when when God seems most absent from us, that's the time that he's probably doing his most important work in us. Because seasons of suffering, seasons of loss, seasons of pain, those are opportunities for God to do his biggest and deepest work in our lives. Listen to me this morning. When the dark night comes, when you look at your life and you see nothing good happening in your life, when you look at the situation or the circumstance that you're going through and you wonder what God is doing, it's during those times that we can feel numb. It's during those times that we can even put our life into autopilot so that we can deal with what we see happening. Or maybe if we can't find relief, then we just lose interest and we just give up on God altogether. But listen to me this morning. It's in those times of brokenness when God all but vanishes from our sight. It's then that we need to realize and we need to grasp and we need to understand that God is doing his biggest work behind the scenes. He's doing something in your life that he could not do if you could see him. I mean, think about it. Let me give you a biblical example. Think about those three hours where Jesus hung on the cross. In the darkness of Good Friday. Think about those three hours that Jesus hung on the cross in the darkness of that afternoon. What was Jesus screaming there for three hours? My God, my God, where are you? My God, why have you forsaken me? His only son hanging on a cross, screaming out in agony. And what did God do? God said nothing. It was as if God was not even around. But it was during that time, it was that exact time that God was in the Son reconciling the world to himself. Just imagine what hope and peace that we would experience in times of brokenness where God doesn't seem like he's there. Imagine what it would feel like to know that when he can't be seen or heard, he is working to take the chains off our ankles. Those very chains that are holding us back or holding us down. That's what we experience in seasons of brokenness. And see, here's the thing. As I looked at the early part of Naomi's life in the book of Ruth, if there's anything I could see during those early verses, it's that she was probably like me. She's just like you. She wanted the good things in life. She wanted to be happy. But I think most of you know my story well enough that I can say this. And you'll take it for what it's worth. You don't always do yourself a favor by thinking it's good to be blessed with all the good things in life. You don't do yourself a favor by always wishing to have the good things that life has to offer. 
because it's the bad times that provide us an opportunity to know God. It's the broken times of our lives that provide an opportunity to know God in a way that the blessings of life would never be able to provide or never be able to deliver. Let me tell you, going through difficulties in life, going through difficult seasons, going through seasons of pain and suffering and loss, Listen to me, followers of Jesus. Those are required if we're to discover a desire for God that is strong enough to help us decline the world's invitation to immediately feel good about everything all the time. Pain and suffering and loss in our lives, that is what allows God to occupy His rightful place in our lives. And it all happens when we're broken. As we close out this series this morning, I want to do it by giving you a picture of what true faith really looks like. Because I think many of us don't understand. Many of us have lost, we've missed the vision of what true faith really looks like. Why do I think so many of us have missed what faith looks like? It's because many of us thought that following Jesus was always going to be about us asking and receiving the things that we wanted. But a life of true faith means that as you travel your journey with God, you're going to be like Naomi. A true life of faith means that you are going to be just like Naomi, and at some point, you're going to experience a time of darkness in your life. There are going to be times in your life that the things that you thought should never happen to you, those things are going to happen to you. But I want you to hear it from my mouth to your ears. Sometimes life is hard. It's very hard. It's real hard. But as you travel the road of faith, as you deal with those dark and difficult times in your life, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Treat the absence of God as a gift. Realize that during those seasons of darkness, realize that in those seasons where you just can't sense the presence of God, those are the times that God is doing his biggest and deepest work in us. Realize that as you live the life of faith, that feeling good isn't what it's about. It's during those seasons of feeling bad. It's during those seasons when we have the, the worst feeling about the way things are going. That's the season where we have the opportunity to do battle with the enemy inside of us. That enemy that keeps us from entering the presence of God. Because it's not about feeling good. It's not about feeling good. Being a Christian is not about feeling good. It's about being in his presence. It's about living a life of true faith. See, now, because of Naomi and Orpah and Ruth and Elimelech and Magon and Kilion, I can put it all together. It all makes sense. Now I understand those ten words where we started in the very beginning. I've come to understand that only broken people truly worship. And I stand back and say, God, let me receive whatever comes into my life as a gift. 
let me receive whatever comes into my life as a gift that ultimately will draw me closer to you. And my prayer is that we're not a people. We're not a church. We're not a community who's all about feeling good. We're not a community who's all about being happy. But my prayer is that this will be a church of broken people who long to experience whatever it is that God has for us as it draws us closer to Him and as we truly worship out of our brokenness. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? God, this morning we realize, I think all of us realize that we, we want to be happy. We want, we want to have good things happen to us. But it's those seasons of difficulty and pain and brokenness. Those are the times that draw us to you. In those times when you're all but silent, God, that's when you're doing your deepest and biggest work in our lives. So God, this morning we ask you by your spirit to work in our lives as only you can. Draw us closer. Realizing in the pain and the suffering and the difficulty that you're forging out, you're doing something that we can't even imagine. We want to be people, not people of happiness, but people who worship, who worship out of our brokenness. God, allow those six truths in this story that we find of Naomi to sink into our lives and to realize that in everything that happens, whether it's bad or difficult or pain, God, do what only you can do as we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.